Morning, sunshines. This is Defenders TV podcast, episode 55, looking at Daredevil, season 2, episode 3, New York's Finest. Welcome back, Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, where we will delve into Daredevil Episode 3 of Season 2, New York's Finest. Um, it's a nice sunny day on the roof, um, and I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm your other host, Derek. Oh my god, what oh, an episode. Exactly. <laughs> this was awesome. This was just like the draw drop moment so far of this season. Absolutely. And dare I add that our co-host Chris is still chained to the roof uh, in his Daredevil outfit. He is unfortunately not here um, for this episode, but he will come from either the chimney stack or depending on how your movie um, preference is, from the um, pit in the cellar where we have been giving him lotion to rub (laughs) on his skin. He will be with us for episode four. We can guarantee this or your money back. (laughs) (laughs) But it's possible that you won't be, John, is the problem. Well, no, I may not be. uh, Like a a game of chess, um, one piece is moved forward and another is taken off the board and I may not be here this week for episode four. See, one of the full fun things about doing an audio podcast is that now our listeners are going to think that the Irish accent is Chris and the English accent is John, basically, but it's the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I am, dare I say it, on a mission. Yeah. <laughs> Quite literally, yes, a mission are. to Eastern Europe, no less. Yeah. Cue Bond music. Absolutely. I think. It's not to um it's not to Sokovia, is it? No, it's not to Sokovia. <laughs> I certainly won't be writing any treaties such as the Sokovia Accord. <laughs> yep, so unfortunately our other host Chris has been taken out, but uh, I will be back with you for episode four with Chris, hopefully, and uh, unfortunately without John. But we're getting through the episodes between all of the defenders. Absolutely. Dare I say jet lag is a nightmare for mm-hmm. anyone. Um so yes, totally Utterly understandable. Yeah, so hopefully you get settled and rested up, Chris, because uh, episode four I think is going to be a good one after this uh, this wonderful episode of episode three of Daredevil. Yeah, this was like, oh my god, oh my god, like just fantastic. I mean, I was wide-eyed, there was drool sort of sliding from my mouth. This was like brilliant um, for me. It was the same moment from season one where you had the corridor fight and you just went, wow, that is awesome. The fighting, the choreography, the camera work, everything. Um, and this too was exactly the same. Absolutely thought it was amazing. And no doubt so did most other people. So yeah, absolutely. I think this was an absolute standout, um, sequence and of choreography, of stunt work, or of, um, body doubles, uh, as well as the actors themselves. So absolutely spot on Daredevil. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But of course, as with most things that are well choreographed, we have to also start with our well choreographed introduction to let you guys and gals know exactly where you can find us to listen to us. And of course, that is on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes or you can search any other good podcast catcher, uh, such as Player FM, Podcast Addict, Beyond Pod, or Stitcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. Subscribe and 
leave a review and that would be perfect. would be much appreciated. And of course, we're building into discussions, feedback on our Facebook page, on Twitter. So if you want to um, follow us on Twitter, please search at DefendersCast uh, and we will be there. And of course, um, on Facebook, you can join our group. You can like our page. Just search Defenders TV Podcast uh, and we will hopefully pop up in the search function on Facebook. Yeah, uh, we'll also be releasing episodes of Agent Carter. We've got two more episodes of the show to go uh, before it kicks into um, just singly a Daredevil podcast. And then we'll be going into uh, Captain America Civil War. Uh, if you want to just listen to the Daredevil podcast, we do have a Daredevil Ash Defenders TV podcast feed over on iTunes. But sure, why not come over to us and listen to us for uh, Agent Carter as well? Uh, it's been a really good show, a very different corner of the Marvel Universe. Absolutely. Um, the Daredevil is the ying to Agent Carter's yang. And of course, uh, one both appealing to audiences, but with very different storylines, very different characterization and very different themes, but just showing the range that the Marvel Universe can have on the TV with really good and excellent uh TV for everyone to watch. Like, absolutely fantastic. And of course, remember one final place where you can send in any comments, thoughts, uh, or discussion points that you have either on our podcast or on any of the Marvel TV, um, such as Agent Carter. And more importantly, at this moment in time, uh, Daredevil Season 2, please send any feedback into feedback at Defenders TV Podcast. Dot com and we'll uh, any feedback on the show but i think with that and of course with the uh, faint screams and and the cracking of chains from the chimney stack above us um i think derek what do we have for this episode of daredevil new york's finest Yep, season two, episode three of Daredevil was directed by Mark Jobst. Uh, you'll be interested to know, uh, John, he directed episode four of season three of Hannibal uh, Aperitivo, uh, one of your other shows that you were covering. Yeah, very good. Yeah, no, he was, he's a superb director. And I mean, of course, like Hannibal, such a classy uh, affair, you know, very, um, very aesthetic, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in terms of that camera type of work, uh, maybe that's a good indicator of that Sturwell scene. Um, fantastic camera work and, and direction to pull that off. Absolutely. Uh, and this episode was written by Mark Verhayden, a first-time writer for Daredevil. You do also see his name in the credits every week. He is an executive producer for Daredevil as well, so uh, he is very involved in the show. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us in this episode, New York's Finest? Sure. Foggy Nelson enlists the help of a trusted acquaintance as Claire Temple is asked if she knows the whereabouts of a mutual friend, a.k.a. Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. Following the failed action of the NYPD and the DA's office in the capture and arrest of the man codenamed The Punisher. At the same time, Karen has smartly obtained information from the DA's office that sheds further light on the vigilante with the name of Frank Castle. As Foggy and Claire search the hospital records to track down Matt Murdock and find his location, little do they know that the Punisher has Daredevil chained to a chimney stack on a rooftop high above Hell's Kitchen. Not interested in the man behind the mask, Frank dismisses Red's approach to crime enforcement and gives Daredevil a moral conundrum to solve with a former client who is ethically questionable. 
Unable to save his client, Daredevil, in his rage, escapes his binds and takes his anger out on the Punisher. On his way down the stairs, as Daredevil leaves to take the Punisher into police custody, he also takes his anger out on the dogs of hell in an epic stairwell fight. In all the confusion, Frank Castle evades the devil of Hell's Kitchen. Cool. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, Good stuff. very cool. I mean, basically, it was very much on the top of the roof, going down to the bottom of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, poor Dogs of Hell gang just keep getting it left, right, and center from, um, from Frank at this moment in time. Yeah. He is really punishing them, uh, to pardon that pun really for pun um he really is it's like a fourth um, attack on the dogs of hell isn't it in the three episodes we've had so far so. yeah pretty much i mean this really is um kind of vindictive i dread to think what they've done and maybe that will come to come to light mm-hmm. I, I can't really recall hearing any kind of hints even as to what they've done just that frank is all out attack 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 mm-hmm. um but yeah no this was um quite frankly um almost like a very small intimate scene um between frank castle and daredevil on top of the rooftop almost like a stage play you could argue with with the audience being the vast open space of New York City to to hear their toing and throwing in the in the dialogue and then of course just with an amazing fight. Like, I just can't stop thinking. It was just so awesome. I know, but we'll get there. We'll get there. And the way we cover our episodes is we talk about our five favorite points or our five top points about the episode. Some good, some bad. Um, and when we talk about our five points, we ha- usually have a few notes as well. And that'll help us decide whether we defend the episode or not. Um, I'm going to kick off first because I want to kick off with the the opening sequence of the episode um, because it's a little Easter egg uh, for those of us comic book readers. Um, this seems to be a nod to Daredevil's mother being uh, a nun in the comic books. Yeah. Um, so the opening scene is uh, is Daredevil in his Daredevil costume, uh, knocked out effectively, uh, being nursed back to health by a nun. Obviously, we saw in the first season that Matt grew up in an orphanage uh, attended by nuns. So this could also be just a reference to the fact that there are nuns around. But um, it's kind of a known fact in the comic books that his mother was uh, was a nun. She left his father and went and joined the nunnery. So I like to think that this is his mother in the scene taking care of him. Yeah, I definitely. And saying the phrase to him that would have been said to Jack Murdoch when he was taking too many punches, which is, stay down, stay down, Matty. She says to him, you know, very familiar, familial kind of comment to him as well yeah it really harks back to season one an early season one with regards to that sort of backstory of uh, matt murdoch's father sort of in the ring taking the punches definitely mm-hmm. absolutely loved that and um, i really like this kind of hallucination that was taking place you know um within uh, matt murdoch's mind uh, love the fact that it's probably his mom i loved all the catholic references that's going on and like for me just that whole um, you know contrast of the non sort of wiping away um with the holy water the the cleansing water and it's slowly turning to blood as the camera moves from up above almost and it descends into blackness and there you then get daredevil in his devil outfit and then obviously the camera turns sideways and he's chained to the chimney. I mean, that amazing kind of allegory of going from heaven to hell and, yeah. and everything in between, so to speak. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and of course, hey, nunny, nunny. Like, you just <laughs> have to like nuns. 
Fantastic. Oh, absolutely. But we do also get a shot of probably the most brutal looking Jesus on a cross that I've ever seen. The blood is everywhere on this Jesus that I, that's there nailed to the cross in uh, above above uh, Matt's bed and his hallucination. Well, you've got to get your quarter pound of guilt in there some way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, All right. It's no uh, lemon bonbons. It's a lot of guilt. <laughs> Uh, on that uh, possibly remorseful note, uh, John, do you want to move us on to the um, second point uh, before we get um, accused of attacking the Catholic Church there? Maybe? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think, to be honest, I have to immediately start off, and this is my first point, is Elliot Groot, a.k.a. Grotto. Um, I had a theory in the last episode that he was going to somehow survive all this um hunting by by uh, John Bernthal's Punisher that he was going to team up with Turk you know the the happy little rascal that he is and they were going to become firm sort of Robin Hood type friends uh doing a bit of you know petty crime a bit of gun running um maybe a little bit of theft here and there but nothing too serious you know always just kind of in and out of Riker's jail or something like that mm-hmm. you know nothing too serious um kind of a nice rapport with Daredevil because he's seen them so often but it gives ul- them information kind of thing exactly but ultimately not that bad really mm-hmm. in the scheme of things um as you can tell, we do definitely watch each episode one at a time and then <laughs> podcast because um my theory was, dare I say it, shot to bits. Uh-huh. Um yeah. <laughs> right in front of Daredevil as R.I.P. Grosso, there will be no team up with Turk, as I was hoping. Um and he was used by the Punisher to really make a serious point to Daredevil. He was given that conundrum of you either shoot me in the head to save Grosso, who is now confessing to murdering A, a contract, but B, a witness to that contract killing an elderly lady uh, with family, uh, with relatives, with grandchildren. Yeah. Um, and that you want to simply just bind him and leave him outside of a police precinct. You know, this whole notion and the whole conversation occurring on that roof about... When you take, when you go after a, a, a perpetrator, a criminal, they get back up after you've knocked them down. Mm-hmm. When I knock them down, they stay down because they're dead, and the only place they're going to is a morgue, not to a prison. And it is really that you know, the Punisher, Frank Castle, has a righteousness uh, with himself of what he does. That he is right, even though he has to make that decision to pull the trigger. If they are um, criminals, if they are doing bad, if they have the possibility of being able to do any form of bad, whether it's from their past or from going through the the swinging doors and revolving doors of, of the uh, NY uh, judicial system, almost a bit like Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. then you know he is going to take them down. And Grosso here is made an example of by the Punisher, who ultimately takes him down himself. Even a last gasp attempt by Daredevil to rescue him, to stop the Punisher from going through with his his point. Yeah. Making his point fails. And we have Groot 
We don't have Groot, thankfully. I can assure anyone who is listening that Groot is not dead at the hands of the Punisher. Um, <laughs> but that, but he has, Punisher has killed all of the Marvel Universe at some point. So he has. I think maybe yeah, so Groot him. might be on his list. I should say Grosso. <laughs> uh-huh. I can absolutely say Grosso, Elliot Groot. Uh-huh. Um, maybe a relation. Maybe, maybe indeed. <laughs> he is certainly as uh, stiff as Timber, put yeah. it that way. He's definitely now feeding the plants uh, in in New York City. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I do think, you know, RIP Grosso, um, it was good knowing you. And unfortunately, you're not going to join Turk um, in kind of a happy, clappy criminal <laughs> sense. Well, not very clappy. He does have broken hands at the moment. Well, that well. is true as well. Poor so, Turk. Poor yeah. Turk. Uh, who got it worse? Uh, I think it was probably Grotto. But here's the moral conundrum. Did Grosso deserve it? Should he have been taken into custody and forced in front of a judge to hear his crimes out and be judged by peers? Well, absolutely, because that's that's the whole firm belief uh, that he should be judged by a jury of his peers, not by... Uh, not by a maniac with a gun, but I do love the reaction of Daredevil. I know this is the very central part of this story, so a lot of points are going to revolve around this discussion, I think, between uh, Daredevil and Punisher, looking at uh, my notes anyway. Um, but the reaction of Matt Murdock when he hears, firstly, that um, Grotto is a contract killer, and secondly, that not only did he kill his target, but he also killed a witness who happened to be a woman with a wife and kids. All the things that he says that Punisher is doing that he shouldn't be doing. Um, the fact that he's kind of equating himself to almost as bad as the Punisher in this particular instance, when in fact Matt was going to represent him and get him out of town and clear him of everything. Um, you know, the, the reaction you can see in just that small part of the face of the Daredevil mask. Um, you can see that he's kind of losing the ability to fight this argument against the Punisher, and the Punisher is almost right. Uh, but I do love a little other little Easter egg that I caught in there, and I don't know whether you caught it, John, um, just the reference to John Bernthal's former character, Shane in The Walking Dead, uh, that little comment that he makes, you need to shoot me in the head to put me out of this. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Just like you do to zombies. So I thought that was a nice little touch. That, that is a good little touch, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but I did love the scene. There's so much more I think we can talk about as we go um, about that scene which will take me on to my next point. Uh, some cool little touches in there from Matt questioning whether Frank Castle is a, is a Catholic and Frank saying once he's asking whether he's a New Yorker and he says once, um, you know, he asks him again, do you go to mass? Uh, <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> this is great. Uh, well, let's hope, um, let's hope he doesn't because otherwise then the church really is failing their congregation. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I love this, that kind of interplay between the two of them where, um, Matt's looking for some kind of connected ground between the two of them and you know Punisher takes that to the next stage we saw it in the trailer firstly but you see that in this scene with the Punisher where he's kind of questioning whether Matt's doing anything worse than uh, the Punisher's doing he's saying you just don't finish the job that's what I see you as um I when I take them out they stay taken out uh, and you're just one bad day away from being me and then the other side of that argument comes back from Matt kind of going well you've lost someone that's obviously what it is that's clearly the reason why you're going after everybody. You're saying it's not because you've come back from war. You're not a war vet that's come back with some crazy illness. You've clearly lost someone. Get over it. Boo hoo. Now, if you're a comic book reader and you know the backstory of the Punisher, if you don't, might be a little bit spoilery here, but if you know the backstory of the Punisher, I'm sure we're going to get it later on in the season. Um, what Matt's just said to the Punisher could have earned him a bullet in the head. Um, absolutely it's quite a significant, 
uh, creation of the character. It's the central point, much like Batman losing his parents, much like um, Superman losing his father to a heart attack. It's the seminal moment that created this character is what is what's happened to him. That's who he's lost. I'm not going to spoil it just because it may be something that you're seeing. If you happen to be watching along with us and um, you may be seeing it in episode five or six or seven. Don't actually know myself. Um, but it's a pretty central moment, a pretty central kind of uh, needle point, I would say, for for the Punisher, which makes me surprised that he didn't go after Matt at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this conversation on the rooftop is, it's a moral maze. I mean, ultimately, mm. it's the Punisher saying, you are a half measure, um, you're one bad day from being me. Um, it, it's this whole notion, some great lines coming from the trailer, but some just classic lines as well, you know. Um, you don't get to pick the things that change us. You know, he goes, I had a, a defining moment of clarity, he says, but then he doesn't elaborate on that, which could ultimately point towards his backstory, as you've just mentioned. And mm-hmm. um, I think I love his little nickname for him, Red. I think that's a really nice little, uh, sort of just nickname that he throws in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, it is this idea that obviously, um, as law-abiding citizens, you are going, well, absolutely, uh, Matt is correct. But in this heightened world, you're listening to um, the Punisher, you're listening to Frank Castle, and you do feel that there is a slight moral uh, superiority being given uh, by Matt Murdock, by Daredevil, towards this guy who sees himself as someone who's getting the job done because he has this military back background it is once ordered military uh, personnel are go in tactically and take out the the um strategic person or facility or whatever it might be and that's how he thinks so he's thinking the way he would do because of his training mm-hmm. and so i don't necessarily feel um totally unsympathetic to what he's saying as such and i think that's the really good way that it's framed and i think he brings this really to um a head where he says soldiers don't get to wear a mask you know they have to have to be seen this this isn't um a secretive thing for me that's right we don't Um, get that privilege it's wearing that badge of honor and pride for doing your duty which Mm -hmm. is what he's seeing he has a code it's just not the code of mainstream superheroes in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. And he abides by that code, which immediately makes him respectable in that sense, you could argue, even though he is a pure anti-hero. But I really like um, how he kind of challenges Daredevil. Um, You know, he goes, is that why you think you're better than me is because you don't kill them? Um, you know, is that what you truly believe? And, you know, he really does start to question uh, Daredevil. And I think it's an interesting kind of to and froing of, of the dialogue. Oh, absolutely. Uh, definitely. Just on a, a slightly um, lighter note, though, however, I love the fact that the Daredevil costume is now increasingly being equated to underwear. So we have underwear, mm-hmm. um, long johns, he was, it was called by Frank, and also running around in boys' pyjamas. So all of a sudden, the Dirt Devil suit is really taking on this mantle of being um, underwear. Yeah, I know, it's really good fun. It's really that. funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just, you know, another quick point about the conversation between the two of them, because it is so good and so central to the episode itself. 
what I do love again is is Mass taking things from the Catholic point of view, from the Christian point of view, where he's saying to Punisher and correcting him again about this idea of him killing um, his victims or killing these criminals that are getting away with things. He's describing them as being these points of light in the universe. You know, what if they have a point of light within them? What if there is something that they're, that they have in their, in their past or in their normal life where they have a wife, they have children, and you're snuffing that out by taking that bullet and putting it to their head? You're not giving them that chance to redeem themselves. Really central part of the Christian faith very much is forgiveness and setting them on a path of righteousness by helping them get over that, um, which is one of the things that Punisher will not accept. He comes back and says, they don't have anything. I know this. I know this for a fact. Yeah, it's the stormtrooper argument that um, um, every stormtrooper has got a loving family behind them, that they're only doing the bad things uh, in order that they can provide for their family. Or or the guy that hit the button that, that destroyed Alderaan. It was like, I do this every day. This is my job, my nine to five. You know, he went back and... He said hi to the kids or something like that. Wow, and 2,000 years of Christianity blinked out in one instance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it really does come back to the fact that Daredevil talks about light, Punisher talks about darkness. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he goes, the people I kill deserve killing. Uh, I make sure they don't get back up and, and onto the street to rape again, to kill again. His primary motive is saving people from crimes that he thinks are going to happen. Mm. Because depending on how you look at his backstory and his origin, that's why he is who he is. The people involved in that were back on the streets after being known mobsters, ultimately. So, I mean, he really does see it from a different perspective. But ultimately... Um, this is the butting of heads. There's, there's no ground given between the two of them. Absolutely. And, and Daredevil is, you really are a nut job. You're insane. You're unhinged, you know? Yeah. So it's much like me and you podcasting together, John. No ground given. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I just love the just again bringing in Matt's uh, Catholicism again and bringing in that that point of view versus a very understandable in a way um acceptable opinion from the Punisher. Uh, one of the things that came back to me while watching this episode, and you mentioned the the scene where Frank says soldiers don't wear masks, we don't get that privilege. Uh, one of the things that came back to me was um when John Bernthal was asked at New York Comic Con last year when he was on stage talking about the fact that he will. He knows how important this character of Punisher is to uh, to soldiers and how important he is to to law enforcement. Uh, and it was one of the things that made me kind of question, go, oh, okay, I didn't think about that. Um, but I like that he's kind of justifying it through that prism, I suppose, of people that keep us safe and do the things that we wouldn't do or we wouldn't have the strength to do in their mind. Um, that's quite interesting that that's what he's taken and brought into the character of the Punisher. No, absolutely. And I think that takes me on to my, my next point. And that's at the, the last episode, he was called the Punisher for the first time. And this time we get to see the x-ray. We see the skull. Um, and we also hear a few more mundane things that he is called Frank Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, his regular nine to five job, so to speak. Yeah. You know, he is Frank Castle, but I love this x-ray. I love the skull and I love the fact that it has a gunshot wound to the head. Um, oh, yes. You know, this was really, really good. I mean, I, I know that in, in some of the, the comics, there is this idea that, you know, his pain center is emotional center of that 
part of the brain has been taken out. You know, he's slightly numb to this, you know, whether it's the thalamus or like the limbic system that the, these centers of the brain that it's kind of been taken out. And I think that's what is signified maybe here with that's the, with the gunshot, um, is that, okay, he can still think, he can still reason. I mean, we've heard him on the rooftop, mm-hmm. but there are parts of him that say his emotional center of the brain that is, um, very much maybe, disrupted in mm-hmm. some way uh, because of what's happened and maybe because of a former war uh, wound uh, in action in the field. So that that's a really nice little touch. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely a really good, for us, a cliffhanger because we can't skip on to the next episode. So it might be something that's explained in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the next episode. But um, I really like this, this scene of Karen holding up the x-ray of the skull particularly because it looks so like the skull of, yeah. uh, from the comic books Punisher. Like, I wonder if we will get to see him with a skull on, on his uh, on his torso, the front of his torso. We've seen it in some of the promotional images. I just wonder if we will see it now uh, at some point down um, down the road mm-hmm. in season two. Yeah. I love the, the fact as well that it was Karen and her sort of, her tenacity, her not taking the... Um, the, the the word from the DA uh, and really not sitting down and taking it that Absolutely. means she got essentially the Punisher files if they exist as Blake Tower says but she goes in there and she makes the the bargain with Blake Tower after doing some investigation that is you know uh, Samantha Reyes she's thrown a lot of people under the bus you're her number two you're her second in command you know be prepared that you could be thrown to the wolves and sacrificed as well yeah and um, she goes into a plea bargain with him that, you know, um, their legal practice, their firm will get some kind of safety or, or um, protection from Samantha Reyes because she's been known to essentially survive problems by throwing other people, other law firms to the wolves. Um, and that was a really interesting thing. I think yeah. one of the other, Blake Tower, uh, as an attorney, does have history in the comic books, does have some um, reference in the Daredevil comics. He runs against Foggy and wins the vote to become the district attorney right. in, in New York, um, which is kind of a nice little touch that he's currently um, the assistant DA to, to Samantha Reyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he runs and wins against Foggy. So it'll be interesting to see if there's anything in that sense that comes up here that Samantha Reyes's background really does compromise her, that she is shown to be slightly dodgy. Yeah. This dodgy DA that needs replacing. Um, and then he's also linked, um, to Heroes for Hire as well. He has had connection in the past with Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Very so cool. he may also be a reoccurring, um, character within this world with various other connections, especially, say, with Hogarth from Jessica Jones and whether Hogarth is going to be in uh, Iron Fist as well. So maybe there's a few little tentacles and and different connections here that might bear fruit either in this season of Daredevil or in some of the other Marvel Netflix shows. Yeah, that is very interesting. I love uh, how I wrote that down in my notes because it was one of my points as well, was uh, don't threaten Karen. She will investigate you until she gets what she wants. Like, she does a great job. You know, she's not a trained investigator. She's not a trained lawyer, but in this episode, we see uh, if you attack her and the law firm and tell her that you're going to take it out from underneath her like Reyes does, uh, 
beware she is going to be so tenacious that she'll go after you and take you out uh really like that in this in this episode as although well. i hopefully she has learned to rein it back and be more circumspect about it and maybe slightly under the radar especially with what happened to ben Urich in season one where yeah. essentially her um, boldness to an extent caused his murder mm-hmm. so hopefully um blake tower isn't going to go the same way but you know Hopefully she's learned from that mistake. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Um, but as well, yeah, it's it's one of those things where um, I suppose I'm just going to nick my other point as well whilst mm-hmm. I'm at it. Um, it was really great to see Claire Temple, and it kind of links with what I was talking about with Blake Tower. I really love that she is this consistent presence and, and through line through um, these different shows, a bit like Officer Mahoney is as well, that they've popped up in Daredevil Season 1, now in Season 2, but also within Jessica Jones's yeah. world, uh, and hopefully with um, Luke Cage's world. I mean, Claire Temple, she references this other guy who's bigger, stronger, uh, than, um, than Daredevil, who's, who's really, um, gotten her into trouble. So she's just keeping her head below the parapet at this stage. She's just doing her job and really knuckling down. Yep. And she's got a, an extended night shift as, and she is now the night nurse for, uh, for 30 days. Exactly. Straight, love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she truly is starting to get, um, her night nurse, uh, tag as well, which yeah. is, it was really good to see, but she She's just such a great actress. She's so relaxed, oh. so natural, so brilliantly awesome. Um, I loved how, you know, she's, oh shit, she goes as like, she starts hearing Foggy talk about the mutual friends and that he's in trouble. I love the fact that, you know, he keeps talking about our mutual friend and she's like, oh, drop the axe. You know, know. Th- this isn't some kind of espionage kind of flick that we're in. Mm-hmm. And, and even at the end where she's, you know, she really, uh, after Foggy's heroics in the world, she says, you're really good with people. Um, you know, and Foggy kind of just goes, it's a shame that our mutual friends let you go. And she goes, who said it was he, him that let me go, yeah. you know, and just waves as she walks off, but she's just so natural and so relaxed. It's just so awesome to see her able to drop in like this into these different shows mm-hmm. and just deliver really good performance, really nice performance. Like I just thought it was so cool. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. She's, she's just great. She really is. I love seeing her in these episodes. I loved seeing her when she came into Jessica Jones, really enjoyed her in the first season of Daredevil. And I get the feeling this is all we're going to see of her in, uh, in Daredevil season two. Uh, I think she's kind of made that statement now to Foggy that, that that's it, that basically while she totally agrees with everything that Matt's wants to do in the city and totally agrees the city does need Daredevil, that she's out, she can't be involved. He's too complicated and that's not what she needs in her life. Uh, sad to say, um, but I did, I do love her part in the show Rosario Dawson is just exudes New York cool to me you know the exact yeah. kind of character that you want to hang out with um, the exact kind of character that just seems to walk in it's just simple touches um, that she does with you know, while talking to Foggy and calming him down the way she just pats his arm with a really friendly gesture it's so natural and so um, so non not acted I suppose almost you know it's just it's lovely to see and she does she is becoming the Coulson I suppose of the uh, Marvel TV universe now 
actually, sorry, Coulson is the Coulson of the Marvel TV universe. She's becoming the Coulson of the Netflix Marvel universe, just to correct myself. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just how she goes, you know, give us a hand disinfecting this wound. And he goes, well, am I really qualified for this? And she goes, well, you're not in cuffs. Uh, you're on the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's there helping out. I love the fact she, you know, she takes no shit. She goes to one of the, the gang members. You know, she says, you had five holding up five fingers and now you have two. That's your fault. Don't come running here two months down the line saying that it was our fault why you don't have any fingers. It's your fault. Yeah. And like she takes absolutely um, no shit whatsoever. Really good. It's great, isn't it? And it feels like it's that that's something that they have to encounter quite a lot, doesn't it? That that people would come back to them after them trying to save their lives and accuse them of doing something to harm them you know yeah. um, she's she's essentially many times in during these scenes she's effectively saying these are the people that save the lives of the criminals uh, they save the lives of the innocent victims and um, they are their own superheroes and i like that the show stresses that quite a lot uh, and as as did jessica jones you know it stresses that the emts and the normal police force a lot of them are just there trying to save innocent people you know uh, while the superheroes run around and take out the take out the big bads they're dealing with the little stuff that's going on in the city yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a nice thing about the Marvel Netflix universe because it is really that interface between, you know, those services like fire, um health, emergent accident and emergency police that are are dealing with all these big battles that are going on between all these superheroes or anti-heroes or or, or criminals or supervillains mm-hmm. uh, and it's like they're having to mop all this up it, it, it's in the same way that it, it framed Wilson Fisk's development of New York and Hell's Kitchen after everything that went down in in the Avengers in New York with the Shatari so a really like great kind of um Little nod to just the the normal grounded aspects of, of this world, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Derek, what's your next point? My next point actually takes place in the same scene. You kind of mentioned it, but Foggy uh, standing up to be the hero that everybody knows that he is. <laughs> really, uh, I love this scene with with him standing up to the um, to the two gang members who are attacking each other. Just some of the comments that he makes, you know, um, where he looks at one of the guys and says, you know, you've got tattoos all over your face. That's like a map that says that you know the taste of prison meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you guys are stupid if you think you're, you're going to be able to attack each other, knife each other in front of all these witnesses with cops standing outside and anybody's going to take up your case. He says, I'm going to appeal to your selfish nature and tell you, don't fight. Don't don't stab each other in front of all of these people, all these witnesses with police outside, because nobody's going to take your case. Nobody's going to believe that you were in the yeah, right here. Yeah. Uh, really good moment. And I love that the guys actually do step down, even though uh, they are they look like they originally were going to stab Foggy, you know, uh, going <laughs> to attack him. But yeah, pretty brutal little fight scene as well, where where one of the guys picks up half of his bed and smacks it over the other guy's head. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Pretty I was like thinking, how has he just demolished that hospital bed mm. and gotten like the, the, the arms either side of it and used that as a weapon? Yeah. Absolutely. I love the, the line, you've got more mug shots than baby shots. <laughs> I thought that was really good, uh, line. Uh-huh. I have to say, like such a great scene. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's got, he's got so much confidence to him now, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of my, my other points before we get into the big fight. There's a great scene on the, on the, uh, the roof where 
Daredevil actually uses the gun to break his chains and then uses the chains as his weapon while he's on the roof. Uh, I think that's fantastic. It really reminded me of um, Ghost Rider in the comic books has has a chain which he uses, which is f- uh, filled with fire effectively and usually wraps it around his victims. Um, I don't know why it just struck me as really interesting that obviously Daredevil is one of the Marvel Knights in the comic books, uh, quite connected to uh, Ghost Rider who has had two awful films, um, much like Daredevil's previous pretty bad film as well um i know the extended cut was good the extended cut was all right and of a different time that's that's very true but i like that the fact there's a little reference here with him with a chain uh attacking frank on the ceiling while frank's trying to take out the dogs of hell and really like the chain going around the neck wrapping around it wrapping around frank's neck and then frank being pulled to the ground um while the battle's going on between the two of them i thought that was really cool to be able to see that before we go into the big bigger fight sequence yeah no that that was really good and you know he smacks his head against the side of the building then uh, and knocks frank out so frank is actually out of action yeah he's he's taken him out and he's looking to take him on and get him into police custody so like the chains was excellent really good and i love then obviously how he uses them down the stairwell but obviously we'll get to that a bit in in a moment, I know. Once again, like making you not binge watch or making I you know. not talk about the fight as well. <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. Just one other point about the chains. Uh, this is the third fight that we've seen in three episodes between Frank and uh, and Daredevil. And if you're not watching the clock, you could be thinking this is how the episode's going to end. Um, which I thought was kind of cool to have something different this time. First time we had the punches. Second time we had the nunchucks. This time we have the chains uh, between Frank and Daredevil. <laughs> That's really it's cool. It's getting randier as the fights <laughs> progress. It certainly is more kink um, beginning to come into these fights. <laughs> but um, I mean, I'm starting to feel sorry for the dogs of hell. To be honest, I, I mean, like, okay, they probably don't deserve it, but like, they've been attacked now, as I said, loads of times. Um, this one was kind of a bit of a, a failed attempt at, at an attack because, you know, he wasn't expecting to get pulled back by the chain, uh, by Daredevil. And so, you know, it didn't really work out. Plus they saw where his vantage point was. Mm. Was he trying to do that? I didn't really catch that. Yeah, I but. think so. Essentially he shoots out the bikes, uh, takes out four of them. Um, the, one of the things that I noticed on the second watching was the lights that he has on his vantage point that he turns on as they come out of the Dogs of Hell bar, that's actually the lights from a poster that he was taking down earlier on while he was having the conversation with Daredevil. So he's actually setting it up so the Dogs of Hell come up to take out Daredevil. Did he uh, change the himself. poster? Did he change? <laughs> did he change the poster with a big arrow with "We're here"? He might have. He could have done. But he did take off the lights and shine them down, showing them where he was after shooting. So, um, so it's pretty likely that actually he didn't expect to survive this rooftop uh, or expected to take out all the Dogs of Hell in one battle. Or maybe fighting side by side with Daredevil after talking him into shooting Grotto, which didn't actually happen in the end. But yeah, it's it's effectively it looks like he's trying to draw the dogs of hell onto him and Daredevil. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, what he was expecting to do. Would it be them both fighting side by side, or just seeing what Daredevil would do? You know, does he know that Daredevil can do what essentially we see him do in that fight? And I think, look. Enough is enough. I think we talk about this awesome, awesome, awesome scene. The fight. The fight. Uh-huh. Um, oh my god. In fact, we're still probably talking about it way too, uh, late into the podcast. <laughs> um, 
This should have been upfront and personal. Loved this fight. This was just awesomeness on a plate. Um, really good, really cool, fantastic camera work. I mean, moving from the corridor, which we kind of saw in season one, that type of style where he's using the walls, the doors, he's whipping the chain, get knocking out the lights. And um, I love that moment where. Um, he's pretending he's using the gun, and then he holds it up, fires it, and there's just the click. He has this little chuckle to himself as he then moves forward and starts taking out all these different people, mm-hmm. using them against their own. I think he he whips the chain round and f- makes someone fire at one of their um, other gang members, and then you move into this this fantastic movement down through the stairwell mm-hmm. where you know. And like in the corridor, the camera is moving all over the place. It's behind Daredevil. It's with Daredevil. It's tracking Daredevil. It's in front of Daredevil. There's, there's guys coming from behind camera, from behind Daredevil. It is really, really cool. I mean, one of the, one of the, um, stunts that I'm going, how the hell did they do it was the, the chain whipped around the neck of one guy, pulled over the banister. And it looks like, I mean, I literally went, Oof, I could feel my spine break um, as he hits the stairs, Absolutely. His, you know, back first. And I was like, oh, my God, that must be so painful. And um, obviously, it's all coordinated and so on. But that, to me, looked well painful. Oh, really, really did. And then you get the big you get the big cave troll of the dogs of hell coming in as well. That was really cool. <laughs> it was really good. All the way throughout this, you kind of do get the feeling of the power of Daredevil, you know. Uh, you can you can tell that he is able to fight many, many assailants at the same time. And um, the one big difference actually between this and the scene in season one, the scene in season one obviously is a one shot, one take shot. They pride themselves on it, talked about it many, many times. You can see some of the cuts in this in this uh, scene. It's definitely not a one a one shot scene. It doesn't take away any of the visceral nature of the of the scene as it's shot. Um, you can tell when the camera passes behind Daredevil a few times that it's cutting and moving around uh, to set up the next scene. It's almost impossible to do a scene where you have the hallway, four stairwells, and then a basement without having a few little edits within it. But it doesn't take anything away from the pacing of the of the fight scene. But I think what was really cool was that it seemed to me to be three single shots taken in the corridor and then it stops and you get the thump 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 of the heart from behind the door mm-hmm. or coming from behind him who then he pushes through the door and then you move into the stairwell shot where it works around him maybe there were a few cuts there but i, I mean it's difficult sometimes to, to know whether that's happening i mean i would just go look it looked fantastic it, it looked did. like it was one shot and then i mean the thing i absolutely thought was gorgeous was him coming out of the stairwell uh, with the red light flashing all around and just the look back at him with this red light on him, that looked just classic Daredevil yeah, to me. Yeah, it's as if he uh, bathed in blood or yeah, something. Yeah, bathed it? in blood, but the right kind of red, it was just so fantastic. I was going, drool, that is perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, so good. And then, yeah, um, you know, he's being choked by the big thug, uh, the the lift opens and there's Frank still down. But in all of this, Frank Castle evades uh, being taken into custody by Daredevil. He he escapes from Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. But this scene, I mean, this is just like 
a movie. I mean, it really is. It's so well done. I mean, props to everyone involved. I mean, I'm sure there's enough um, congratulations going on in the industry, but I mean, like, just so, so good. Absolutely love it. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Philip Silvera, who did the fight scene, who coordinated the fight scene from season one, was back for season two. He did Deadpool in between season one and season two of Daredevil, which also had some incredibly good fight sequences as well. Um, He's done such a fantastic job setting this up. I know one of the tasks that must have been set to him by everybody around was do something better than the hallway sequence in season one. Uh, He's made something bigger, something really interesting, multi-floored. I heard someone today describe it as similar to Bruce Lee's Game of Death, where Bruce Lee is climbing stairways going up, uh, going upstairs fighting bad guys as they go up. It reminds me of The Raid again, of the Japanese film The Raid, where you're attacking a building and going level by level all the way throughout the building in a very short period of time, doing it in like three minutes, you know? It is. I, I mean, I have the same thing, and I also have it in that that moment where you kind of go... It was like with um, the, the corridor scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Inception, um, where you're just kind of going, how do they do this? Mm-hmm. You want to know. Okay, it might not be as technically... Uh, complex in terms of building a rotating corridor but nonetheless it's still complex mm-hmm. it's like it's no real less complex it's just different complex and I loved um I had that same feeling or as when I saw the inception bit I was like going that's cool mm-hmm. that's so cool absolutely and um, so really really good yeah absolutely uh, i think that's going to be it for our top five points do you have any notes on this episode john yeah my first note is what's in frank's flask um i was thinking is it a cup of tea is he drinking tea there or is it something a bit stronger and i think given by the tartan print on the outside of the flask it's probably a good old scotch and um, bit of whiskey because i think when he takes that first sip when he says morning sunshine um he kind of like does the kind of thing like right. he's got alcohol in his sort of bleeding gums or something like that i don't know like it's it's kind of it looks like it's not tea or coffee right you're just trying to keep whiskey watch going from jessica jones yeah i am really maybe it's hot cocoa maybe yeah and it's too sweet the hot chocolate with the marshmallows too sweet it's like oh you know sugar pain i have a feeling frank castle isn't a hot isn't a hot chocolate no i don't think he is really uh either and then one of my other notes is I just love the way Frank is really going, look, Daredevil, you talk too much. You know, are you a shrink, Red, he says. And then it's like, are you charging by the hour? Uh-huh. It's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, what is it that you do when you're not wearing your long johns? Like, really good. <laughs> um, I love that little exchange. Um, and then my final note really is the janitor, Jerry um, and Frank up on the rooftop. Both soldiers in the end, but Frank pulls the gun on Jerry from behind the door because he hears the chains. Um, and it's a really interesting scene because on the one hand, there is this um, connection in the fact that um, the janitor, Jerry, is from the 3rd Marine Division, the, the fighting 3rd, and he's an ex-soldier from Vietnam, and it's something that uh, Frank Castle can immediately relate to, and you know, and they, they do the Semper Fi thing, um, which is, it's all kind of this connection, um, and you can really see that, that Frank connects uh, with Jerry, the janitor, mm. but at the same time he's got this gun behind the door, 
because he's already made the threat to Daredevil. If you move, if you alert anyone, this guy's brains will get spread across this rooftop. Mm -hmm. And and it's really difficult because you're there going, would he have done it? Would he have done it, given that he does have a code? I suspect not, ultimately. The janitor has done nothing wrong. He's not a criminal. He may have gotten knocked out um, and put on the floor, but I don't think Frank would have uh, carried through with it. That's my view on it yeah i think frank's probably just testing whether uh whether matt's belief in him is that he's just crazy he makes the comment that he cocked the gun because that's part of the act all for you daredevil effectively exactly so, yeah. so um i thought that was a really nice little scene um, as well definitely uh from my note uh one of the things that stood out to me in this episode is that it answered one of my questions from last week why was why was daredevil able to track down uh the dog you know maybe i'm not giving him enough credit for his heightened senses uh in this episode we see daredevil looking at a box ac- from across the building while tied up with chains and he's able to decipher the fact that it's full of bullets that it's uh, that they're military grade bullets and that frank is using these military grade weapons uh in the target that he's setting up in these possibly 10 or 20 missions that he set himself. Um, if Daredevil's able to do that from across the room, he's certainly able to pick up the trail of a dog if it's been washed down on the street. So uh, that answered my question from from the last episode that we had. So I'm presuming if you did hear that, um, sorry, I was just guessing that he that the, the washing down of the street may have lost the sense. You had no faith in Daredevil's nose, you know, that he could <laughs> sniff beyond where the pavement was getting washed down. I just have a quick note, actually, as well, which is I kind of forgot to mention when I was talking about Grosso uh, being killed um, on the roof. But, you know, Grosso is picked up by Daredevil. He's he's wanting to take him away and get get help for him. And and Grosso really, you know, he's dying. He says, put me down. It's like almost a a cry to say, stop helping me. You've done your damage. But he he poses the question, which I wonder whether it will have any uh, ramifications throughout um, the season. He says, why didn't you stop him? You know, yeah, that's a really important kind of point, which um, is kind of hidden a bit, I think, in, in what Grosso says because of the conversations that they've been having. And it might be something that, you know, given some of the trailers that we've seen or some of the promotional material where they seem to be fighting alongside one another, it'll be interesting how they get to that point, given mm-hmm. this this conversation on the roof. If, in fact, I'm even getting this theory right, given my current track record on season two of Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, that's very, that's entirely possible. Yeah, I'm wondering if Brock Grotto was just accepting the fate that was assigned to him by the Punisher. You know, he's, uh, he's had to admit to the fact that he's murdered someone, that he's murdered the wife of the person that he was sent there to kill, who was a, a mother, um, and had family around her. Maybe he's just accepting the fact that he is a bad guy. And that was the, that's what, the Punisher has gotten out of him, you know. Uh, he's telling Daredevil to put him down uh, on the ground. There's no point in carrying him any further because maybe he believes that he's not savable, you know. And that's that's the way I kind of took the scene. But you're right, there is the question open to him. Why didn't you save me? Why didn't you stop him? Um, so that's interesting as well. With that, I think we're out of points on this particular episode. John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil as if I need to ask I do defend this episode, surprisingly, of Daredevil. Um, You had five, and now you have 4.8 fingers left, uh, and it's your fault. Um, I absolutely loved this episode, and primarily because of 
and this kind of move from essentially a stage play on a roof between between Frank and Matt Murdock, Daredevil and the Punisher, with the interjection of um, Janice or Jerry. You move from that sort of this classic stage play type of, of setting to a fight scene, which is absolutely straight out of the movies and TV, mm-hmm. where you can really become quite technical with this move um, down through the corridor, down along the stairwell, and obviously, you know, uh, to the end fight. All these things were such a contrast from a from a, a technical point of view, but also I think with regards to the um just the type of dialogue, the direction, the acting, you know, you go from very much a moral type of uh questions and answers, moral maze, I think I've called it, um, between uh, the the things that drive these two protagonists um, along to what they do and mm-hmm. the different routes that they take through to this whole adrenaline-filled, fantastically awesome fight sequence um, from the top floor down through to the bottom floor. Really, really cool. And then I think, you know, you, you still have, you know, Foggy and Karen's um, stories chugging along nicely here. You know, not as upfront and central as they may have been in previous episodes but nonetheless you've still got foggy really coming into his own in this season so far i love the fact that claire temple was brought in mm-hmm. that's just like to me a little breath of um consistency and fresh air that moves through all of these shows which i really enjoy um and obviously you know we have the skull here now i can't wait till it's emblazoned full frontal onto uh Frank Castle's chest as the Punisher. Really can't wait. Do you think he'll do what Deadpool did and just staple it to his chest? Or do you think there'll be more to it? (laughs) I'm hoping there'll be more to it. Maybe he will go to the Gladiator. Maybe he'll go to Melvin Potter uh, to get a suit. Maybe. Uh, Possibly. Uh, But I'm really looking forward now to seeing what happens. I mean, we've still got this cat and mouse game going on or this height this wolf chase uh, between these two protagonists now again um this time the punisher has eluded daredevil last time daredevil eluded the punisher from episode one Mm -hmm. and in the second episode the punisher got his man but is now he's now escaped so this was an excellent excellent episode um definitely 4.8 fingers out of five after a heavy night in gang warfare (laughs) derek do you defend this episode of daredevil i certainly defend this episode firstly from as you say the stage play uh from what i'm what i'm seeing the moralistic side of matt murdoch where he's almost like a priest to um, to Punisher, he's looking to talk to him from a very Catholic uh, frame of mind. The idea of you don't want to turn out that that point of light that could be within someone, uh, any of your victims, you could have ruined their lives and the lives of people around them. That kind of mentality of Matt Murdock is very central to him in the comic books and very central to my opinion of daredevil that i formed from season one you know uh, this is a character that has has gone back to the church on regular occasions has lo- sought guidance from the local priest on what he's doing uh, and is now seeking to share that guidance with the punisher uh, i love that it's all turned on his head when punisher says the only thing that's going to stop me is a bullet to my head um he's saying to him you can't 
educate me. You can't tell me your opinion and expect it to be mine. Uh, I have my own belief system and it's different from yours. Uh, what I believe is that we're the same person. We're the same type of person, but you're not strong enough to do what I do. Uh, love those kind of thoughts. Absolutely. And that that yeah. central uh, concept within this episode. And then, yeah, it does all end off in a fantastic battle. I was glad it didn't just end off with, as I said, the chain fight on the roof, a third fight between Punisher and Daredevil, which it so easily could have if that's all we were looking for here. It was just, let's see if we can get as much action as we possibly can into an episode. Um, the fight sequence that they gave us was phenomenal and it needed to be to stand up to the drama that we got in this episode. Absolutely. I mean, just the look on Charlie Cox's face uh, playing Daredevil as he finishes off, you know, the big dog of hell and um, the thug and he's there, like breathing in the oxygen like so visceral so so fantastically physical like mm -hmm. brilliant and um, such a great uh such a great episode for for that absolutely yep yeah, i'm really looking forward to seeing episode four uh, i think it's time to go into our feedback that we got in since the last episode yeah so our feedback for this episode comes from ronaldo um through uh facebook and pretty much a bit like ourselves it's like oh my bloody god just finished this episode episode four i seriously don't know what to say anymore this isn't tv it's film quality whatever it's better than film what the hell what did i just watch and <laughs> um, so obviously this is very much a reaction um but he, he obviously loving uh that fight sequence as much as we did the corridor fight scene f with the dogs of hell uh had me on adrenaline when matt was about to flee from bikers but then came back when he saw the old tenant about to get swamped my heart lifted mm -hmm. that's the epitome of hero my respect for daredevil skyrocketed foggy in this episode he's the man recently he's shown so much bravery he's become more than the comic relief claire temple so comforting to see her again i love her role in these series and finally all i can say is i would happily watch frank and matt engage in dialogue for the whole episode alone that conversation on the roof was so thrilling and then they stepped it up with the hallway fight scene, this show is pure brilliance. I mean, I can't echo those sentiments enough uh, from Ronaldo. I mean, this is really top quality TV, um, which is just like edge of the seat, nail-bitingly awesome. Um, I mean, I really can't wait to watch episode four, Derek, uh -huh. uh, because this was fantastic. Definitely, and one of the other good points that I want to echo out of uh, Ronaldo's feedback i really like the bit that he's called out there when he says uh, matt was about to flee from the bikers but then came back when he saw the old tenant about to get swamped and um, that is a real superhero moment you know he's he's about to leave with the punisher which is what he's there for and then goes back to save the one civilian that that could have been harmed and i think that's where we get the the chuckle as he pretends he's got the gun he fires it and there's just the click in an empty chamber mm -hmm. and, and there's that kind of chuckle from him that it's like okay, I have to do this. I might as well enjoy it almost. I mean, I, I'm not saying that in a gratuitous way, but I just mean that he realizes the, the irony that he was about to be heading down in the lift, escaping from the bikers. But now, because of them embroiling um, an innocent bystander uh, from one of the apartments, well, they've got it coming to them. Exactly. Absolutely exactly. loved it, yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much for that feedback, Ronaldo. Yeah, thank you so much for the feedback. So appreciated. Again, for anyone who wants to send in feedback to the show, please send it in to feedback at defenders 
tvpodcast.com. And of course, you can send feedback through our Facebook group. Just search Defenders TV Podcast and join our group and like our page. And of course, there's always Twitter if all else fails at Defenders Cast. Just search uh, on Twitter and we will and there will be all the tweets tweeting around. <laughs> and the good thing is we're moving to a much more regular schedule now. We've recorded our first three episodes over the course of a couple of days, so uh, quite difficult, we know, to get your feedback about the episodes or about your thoughts overall on the season into us uh, while we've been recording the episode. The best way, obviously, is to join the Facebook group, as John mentioned. You can find that just at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Um, but you'll, if you get your feedback into us, we hopefully will talk about it on our next episode, which is episode four of Daredevil, hopefully releasing uh, next Thursday. Uh, as we also are covering Agent Carter each week until that season finishes, we'll be alternating the episodes of Agent Carter and uh, and Daredevil once a week uh, as we go. But hopefully you're joining us for all of our episodes on Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, if you subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. You'll get all of those episodes popping into your ears uh, twice a week for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and of course, just search Defenders TV Podcast on any other good podcast catcher for any Android users, any of the catchers such as Player FM, Podcast Addict, Beyond Pod, or indeed Stitcher. So thanks so much for listening. Really good to be back with Daredevil. We will be back again next week. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening, Sunshines. Bye. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickering myth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye bye.